Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Svedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hey everybody, this is Marnie. Welcome back to another Marnie's Friends episode. Today our guest is Kelly James Anger, and during the next hour you're going to learn all about dollars and deadlines. This is writer and author training, how to make money writing articles for print. your first article ideas, how to write a pitch or query letter, how to make your own query stand out from the pack, how to make an editor love you and assign more work to you, how to manage your time as a writer, why you should develop a specialty as a writer, and how to build a freelance career from scratch. And our guest today, Kelly James Enger, is the perfect person to walk us through this because uh, since she's formerly an attorney, but since then she's written more than a thousand articles for over 60 national magazines and more than a dozen books, including the book titled Dollars and Deadlines, Make Money Writing Articles for Print and Online Markets, and also the book Six Figure Freelancing, The Writer's Guide to Making More Money. And we're so excited to have you here. Kelly, welcome to you. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here, Marnie. Thanks for having me. Well, and we are excited to get to pick your brain today a little bit because you are the girl who can help us all to be more um, efficient, proficient, and published <laughs> with our writing, especially when it comes to articles. So maybe uh, tell us about your first article getting published. How did that ever come about? Uh, actually, I uh, majored in writing in college, and it was something I'd always wanted to do, and then I ended up going to law school on kind of a whim. Uh, so I started writing again when I was an unhappy female lawyer, and mostly writing articles or short stories about unhappy female lawyers that were all fiction, of course, <laughs> you know, just strangely enough. But then when I looked at the magazines I was reading, I was in my 20s, and I read Cosmo and Glamour and Mademoiselle, which isn't around anymore. But when I looked at the magazines that I enjoyed reading, I realized that, 90 to 95% of the publication was not fiction, and this is when they actually ran more short fiction then, or essays. It was articles, nonfiction articles about how to do something or why to do something or maybe a feature story, a true life story, whatever. And I, I really changed my game and decided, well, if I want to get published, mm-hmm. and I did, instead of writing fiction, which there's a much smaller market for, I'm going to write what there's a much bigger market for, and those are articles. And that my first sale was actually to Cosmo, to Cosmopolitan, and it was an article on um, the, the 10 things not to do during your last two weeks on the job. So, you know, like after you give notice, here's the 10 things to do and not do. And because I had been a lawyer for a while, I had changed jobs four times in five years. So I was a kind of a veteran of that two-week, you know, the time period between giving notice and actually leaving the firm (laughs) or the office where you work. So that was my first sale. And then I sold a piece to Brides a couple months later, and I really didn't know how unusual that was to go, you know, right to national magazines. And with those two clips, I quit my job as a lawyer and started freelancing full-time. That was actually 17 years ago. So I did it kind of backwards. Instead of starting small and local and building up, I started with nationals and kind of grew my business from there. 
What a great story. And uh, I'm just curious now, so for the person who hasn't ever published anything in a magazine or had anything published at all, how would they first of all identify who might be their potential markets? You know, the first thing I always tell people, especially if they have not been published before, is to find a market that you think you can write for more than once. And I'll explain why in a minute. But those markets could be anything from a print magazine that you read, whether it's a national magazine, a trade publication. Let's say you're a realtor and you get a magazine um, or you're you know, a dental assistant and you, you read a dental trade. Uh, whatever profession you're in, you probably have a trade publication that you're familiar with. It could be a blog that you read and follow that takes, uh, t- takes guest posts, and a lot of blogs pay for guest posts. Or it could be an online market. It could be, let's say you like uh, self or womansday.com. There are online uh, companions to print publications. Pretty much any major publication, print publication, has an online component as well. So it might be a .com, or it could it could simply be a website that you know it doesn't have to be an online magazine per se. It could be a website. So that's I always suggest that people look first to markets they're familiar with because it's much easier to sell to a market you know, and you you know you know what they cover, you know their tone, you know their audience. You, you, you're coming in as a reader, not just as a writer. And and look so first look for a market that you know, and second look for a market that you think you can write for more than once because it's much easier to write for the same market more than once than to keep looking for new markets all the time. It cuts your marketing time. It makes you more efficient. And if you become a known entity to your editor there. So um, pretty much all of the markets I have now are markets I've written for for five, eight, ten years. And that just means it's much easier for me to sell them an idea, first, because I know them, but second, because they know me and they're more likely to say yes to me. Or if they don't like the idea, they're more likely to think of me if they have something they're assigning in-house, which happens frequently as well. So we're going to talk in a moment about how to choose even a first article idea. But before we do that, maybe speak to the person who says, um, I, I don't think people are paying for articles or blog posts anymore. I think everybody's just donating their time. Speak to that. Yeah, you know what? Um, that's not true, <laughs> first of all. Uh, yes, there are a lot of markets that don't pay, and there are a lot of writers that uh, work for free. I'm not one of those writers, and I personally know hundreds of other freelancers who are not either. Um, but what I, what I will say is that, no, a lot of markets don't pay, so you have to look for ones that do. National magazines pay, trade publications pay, uh, well-funded websites pay, um, online magazines that have a decent following pay. And personally, I don't write for markets that don't pay because this is how I support myself and help support my family. Um, But I I could see if you're just starting out and you think, okay, well, I'm going to get a couple clips, I'm going to get a couple samples, I'm willing to do that for the, you know, to get those clips and quote-unquote exposure, which I, I don't always think is a good thing. But then after you've got two or three clips, you should be pursuing paying markets. Now, if you're not interested in making money from your writing, that's fine. Then then my books probably aren't for you because I'm all about making money doing what I love to do. Um, some markets pay more than others, but it, when I first started freelancing 17 years ago, I just decided I'm not going to write for free. Now, I did write for the local paper for $35, $45, $50 a story, but it wasn't free. I mean, I did get paid for what I did, and then as I gained experience, I left behind some of those lower-paying markets in favor of higher paying markets. So I I don't want to speak in absolutes and say never do this, 
Um, but I do think it's important to think, to just realize that there are markets that pay, and there are markets that pay well, and the writers who are busy writing for money typically aren't going on bulletin boards and complaining about how they can't find any markets that pay. I think that becomes kind of a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And that's such a good balance, too, because there are, a lot of you listening maybe don't care about the money. Great. Don't worry about it then. But if you care about the money, there's money there. That's awesome. Okay, let's talk about how a person would maybe pick their first article ideas. So we already know we want to, and, and I so concur that it just makes so much sense to go into fields that you're already in, that you are really uh, have some expertise, has some background and are familiar with. How do you pick your first article ideas then? Correct. And let me let me just add something to what you were saying, Marnie. I don't want to offend anyone by saying, if, you know, if you don't care about the money, it's that's not my intention. But there are sure. people who do this part time as a, as a you know as a freelance income, or maybe you've lost your job and now you do want to make money, or maybe you want to make extra in your retirement or whatever. I'm, I'm well aware sure. that many people write for love. Nothing wrong with that. So. Coming up, so thinking about first article ideas, again, I have a phrase I like to use with new writers, and it's uniquely qualified, meaning come up with an idea that you are uniquely qualified to write. So my first story, which is slang for article, my first article for Cosmo was on surviving your last two weeks on the job. Okay, at the time I wrote that, I had changed jobs four times in five years. So I was, quote, uniquely qualified to write about that experience. <laughs> now, I still had to interview experts, and I still had to interview other people who had done this. I still have to have some sources for my piece. But the fact that I've done this makes a difference in terms of informing me as I research and write the piece, and it definitely helps you get an assignment when you're new to the market. The second piece I wrote for brides was on avoiding legal problems as you plan your wedding. Well, at the time, I was planning a wedding, and I was a lawyer. I was actually a contract attorney. So, again, I still interviewed people. I still sourced the story, but the fact that I was an attorney writing about this and and also a bride really made me uniquely qualified. Um, And Actually, the third story I sold was on 10 reasons to date a shy guy and the guy I was dating mm-hmm. who I later married was an introvert and I'm an extrovert so I turned that into an article so you sure. know, be creative think about look at the market you're writing for first because the market is going to dictate what you know what the market wants and then see what can I come up with whether it's my personal experience my work experience um, something that's happened to me and make that the jumping off point it's not going to be just about your experience but your experience that uniquely qualified part of it is the jumping off point. And how um, how much of experience, your your examples don't go terribly deep, like you don't have a master's degree in dating shy guys. So how much no, no, not at all. I don't want one either, quite frankly. <laughs> how much experience does somebody need in order to consider themselves uniquely qualified? Uh, I'm t- uh, pretty much zero because every when I teach, I say everybody here has had experiences that other people have not. So if you, let's say you're going to pitch a piece about um, eating more fiber to lose weight. Okay, I do a lot of diet and nutrition stories. You're, if you've recently lost 60 pounds because you doubled the amount of fiber you eat, don't you think the editor is interested to have you write that piece simply because you know more right. about it? If you are you work in IT or an IT consultant like my husband and you pitch a piece on 10 things you didn't know you can do with your iPhone, that the fact that you have that personal experience is going to make a difference when you're pitching it. And I think, too, researching it because you have a, a, a level of experience that someone else doesn't have. So, for example, um, one of my former students had 
been a nurse, and her first story she sold to a nursing magazine, and it was on this new law and how it was going to affect uh, emergency room nurses across the country. The fact that she was a nurse and had worked in EDs and emergency departments sold the story for her. I mean, she wrote a great query, but the the editor at the trade magazine knew that she understood the lingo. She you know she knew what right. all these buzzwords meant. She could just kind of speak the language, and it's the same thing when you're pitching a market that you're familiar with and you say um i'm i'm you know are you interested in this for your healthy news or interested in this for your just for you section and the editor says wow she knows my market she knows my readers she knows my magazine that's what they like to see they don't like to see these uh general pitches which is you know you send a pitch out to everybody and hope it hits so um it, it should really be a, a two-pronged test number one do you have some kind of personal experience with this topic and number two will the will the readers of this particular market care those two if those if the answer is yes then your query has a better shot than average. That's awesome. This is Marnie. We're visiting today with Kelly James Anger. You can find her over at dollarsanddeadlines.blogspot.com. We're going to come right back and talk about how to write a picture query letter that gets the attention of an editor. We'll be right back. Do you ever need speakers for dinners, retreats, conferences, or other women's events? Check out www.womenspeakers.com. It's the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,500 Christian women speakers, some near you, and some from every level of experience and fee range you can imagine. So you're sure to find lots of great speaker options for you and your next event over at www.womenspeakers.com. That's Women Speakers. The fastest and easiest way to find out which major women's events are coming to your area is to visit www.womensevents.info. That's womensevents.info. It's the only directory of its kind, and it features all of the major events like Women of Faith, Beth Moore, E-Conference Women, and so many others. It's free to search, and you can find it all at womensevents.info. When you spend some time touring around Marnie.com, you're going to find that there are so many great resources and connection opportunities available to you and that you can purchase them each individually. But you might just say, I just want to get them all. I want to get everything. I want to participate in some 21-day wins. I want to get out some of the theme sets. I love some of the trainings. I love some of the eBooks. whatever. I want you to be able to get out all of them anytime you want. And so we've created this membership program where if you go to the top right-hand corner of any page and click shop, and this works better if you're already logged in, but even if not, just click shop at the top and it's going to show you the option to become a member of the mentorship program at marnie.com you can do it monthly you can do it annually or you can do it for life but any which way you do it you're going to be able to access everything that is available online through the site for that one low cost and i hope that you'll check that out at marnie.com
Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg, and our guest today, Kelly James Enger, is the author of several books, including Dollars and Deadlines, Making Money Writing Articles for Print and Online Markets. Before the break, we were talking about how to choose your um, venue, your potential markets, how to choose your first article idea. And right now, Kelly, let's go ahead and talk about, so we've, we've chosen a market, we've chosen an article idea. How do we write a pitch or query letter that's going to grab the attention of the person on the other end? Um, and I, I can't overstate the importance of pitch and query are used interchangeably. You can you can query or you can write a query letter. You can write a pitch or you can pitch. So just I, I'll probably use those four interchangeably here. But basically, the pitch letter or the query is sort of the cover letter that you would send with a resume. But it's more than that. It's a letter of introduction. It's a it's a sales letter, and it's your first and most important writing sample. And what you want to do with it is different writers have different formats, but there's no magic formula. That being said, it's always nice to have a template to follow. And actually, if you go to my blog, dollarsanddeadlines.blogspot.com, and put in query template, you'll pull up some actual query templates with my comments about them and why they worked. So I like to use a four-paragraph structure. The first paragraph is the lead, and it captures your attention. And if you read any article, I don't care if you're looking at a print or online publication, it doesn't start by saying, this is an article about using fiber to help you lose weight. Fiber is good for you. You know, you would never read that. It's boring, right. especially since our attention spans are so short now. It'll say, um, you know, want to know the secret to losing weight? Or, you know, Susan Smith, 32, had gained 40 pounds and feared she'd never get it off. She made one small change in her diet, and now she's back into her size 4 black dress. And you're like, wow, how did Susan Smith do it? She ate fiber. So it's true for advertisements, too. But the idea is that the lead catches the editor's attention. That's the first paragraph. The second paragraph is what I call the why write it? And here you give a little bit of detail about your story. Here's some interesting new research on fiber. Or you're pitching a piece on 10 fun things to do with your iPhone. Here's a couple things that the editor's never heard of, but it kind of fleshes it out, shows the, read, shows the editor excuse me, why her readers will care. Why write it? Why will the editor care? Third paragraph is what I call nuts and bolts meaning what's actually going to go into this story. So I often will suggest a working title, like Fight Fat with Fiber. I just made that up. But some, something that, <laughs> to give the editor an idea of what you're, what you're thinking about. What kind of sources do you plan to talk to? Do you plan to interview nutritionists? Do you plan to interview bodybuilders? Do you plan to interview uh, IT consultants? You know, like give me an example of who you plan to talk to. How long is the story going to be? Are you going to include a sidebar? But it kind of makes the package of the story, that third, that nuts and bolts paragraph. And then the fourth paragraph is like what I call the ISG for I'm so great. And that's where you're going to sing your, your relevant praises. So if it's your – when I write a query now, it's easy. I've written for a lot of national magazines. I'll pick out the ones that are most relevant. I'm a personal trainer. If I'm pitching a fitness piece, I mention that. If I'm pitching a business piece, I'll mention I was an attorney. I'm self-employed. If I'm pitching a parenting story, I will mention that I'm a parent. You know, it's kind of like going on a date. You, you choose the things that most are going to appeal to the, the guy you're going on the date with, at least initially. <laughs> um, and, and, and you say, um, you know, here's who I am, here's what I've done. If you haven't been published before, and a lot of people listening have not, you just make the strongest query you can, and that's where that uniquely qualified comes in. You don't say, I've never been published before, or better yet, I've been writing for 20 years and have never been published before. You say, are you interested in this for such and such section? I'm a freelance writer, and... Um, 
iPhone addict who, and I believe I can bring a unique perspective to this story. I hope you agree that this query is a good idea for this story. You know, whatever it is, you highlight your qualifications and downplay the things that aren't so great, i.e. you haven't been published yet. But that that template, that form, it, they're tricky the first few you write, and then once you get the hang of it, it becomes easier. It's a skill. It's, oh, okay, here's the lead, here's the, nut, here's the why write it, here's the nuts and bolts, here's my ISG. And you'll find that kind of like when you're trying to get a job and you have to write that cover letter over and over, you find you kind of have a form you follow and pull, you know, take in, take in sections, put in sections, whatever. So that's the idea. That's how you do it. That's awesome. And, of course, we all know that editors are super busy. They get swamped with lots and lots of queries and pitches. And how is it that you can, maybe if you don't know anybody there personally, you haven't been published by that particular magazine or, or um, publication before, how is it that you can stand out? How, how is it that you can get seen and get noticed in the pile? You know what, that's really important. And even for somebody who's done this for years, I still have to make my query stand out because I'm pitching along with hundreds of other, you know, maybe thousands of other queries, you know, each month or year or whatever. So first of all, use your subject line. Pretty much all querying is done via email now, which is great. It's very easy. It's, you know, inexpensive, simple, whatever, but it's easy to get have something misplaced. So what I will say is uh, query from established freelancer or query – that's perfect for your all about you section or, or something to, to give the editor the heads up you've looked at the publication. Then in that query, which I know is going to be super awesome and it's going to have a strong lead and you've thought out thought about the idea, you've shown her how you're going to package the piece, you've talked about why you're the person to write it, you're going to let her know you know her market. And I mentioned this already, but it's by saying something like, I really enjoyed your piece last issue on uh, new interval training techniques and I think this piece on you know slow weight lifting I, I plan to take a similar approach or interested in this for your uh, news that you need section it the idea is that you're letting the editor know you looked at her publication and that makes a difference because I'm telling you I've worked with a lot of editors and they routinely tell me that 90 to 95 percent of the pitches they get are just not even good they're not right for the magazine like my editor at family circle said they would get ski they'll get skiing workout pitches a family Circle is never going to do a piece on how to get in better shape for skiing. They're going to do a fitness piece on walk the pounds off or exercises you can do at your right. desk or simple Pilates moves. I mean, now um, fitness or shape or women's health, they might all do a ski workout, but you have to think about your market. And a lot of writers don't do that. And Or it would be if I were... If I'm pitching a piece, I'm doing a piece right now um, for Chicago Parent, and I live outside Chicago, um, I would, I always want to come up with a Chicago angle. Even though a lot of my stories could be anywhere, I need a Chicago angle. So I look for something Chicago-centric to set that pitch apart from all the pitches she gets from, you know, from other writers. So really show the editor that you've done the market research because it makes a difference. And, I, and one, of the, one of the things is that people don't think about that pitch may not sell, but if your editor likes the pitch, she may say, well, how, why don't you offer me some other ideas? And that's how you get your foot in the door. Not, many of my first pitches did not sell. But when the editor said no or I didn't hear anything, I'd come back with a new pitch, and sometimes that second or third pitch would sell. So, you know, it's, you do have one shot, but even if you don't get the assignment, you want your query to be so good that she takes you seriously. That's really the idea. I just love that, and I can't even tell you, it's the same with the radio show. You get all kinds of people wanting to be on your show that have never listened to it. They don't have any idea yeah. what you do on your show, and they pitch you all these random 
really random things, and you don't you can't even consider it. And it's right. Um, it's, it wouldn't be that hard to just see, you know, what what does the show do? And with this, what does the publication do? And what's beautiful about publications, there's all kinds of articles inside each one. So once you pick your market, uh, you can go many, many different directions. Can you just tag back for the person who's kind of new to this and just explain what you meant about a sidebar? Can you explain oh, yeah. um, sure. just the different components that a writer could include in a pitch? Sure. That's, thanks for mentioning that. So normally, if you're going to pitch a shorter piece, like three to 500 words, and that would be, if you're looking at a print magazine, it would be maybe half a page, maybe two-thirds of a page. It, I, I think it's helpful for new writers to actually kind of deconstruct the markets they look at. And uh, mm-hmm. a sidebar is a, a shorter piece that accompanies the main story. You know what one is, you just didn't know what was called a sidebar. So I, I used to joke around and say, I, I call these stories the dread disease of the week story. You know, my kid had the dread disease, you know, fill in the blank. With that kind of feature story, which would be 1,500 to 2,000 words, here's my story about my kid with a dread disease, there'd be two sidebars. One would be symptoms of the dread disease, right? Because as you're reading this, you're like, holy cow, I hope I don't have this. And then the second sidebar would be uh, treatment options or resources for help or something like that. So a, a piece on uh, traveling to, to uh, traveling to Vegas with your kids might include a couple sidebars like uh, great buffets that are kid-friendly or the best five free things for families in Vegas. They're, they're shorter pieces that um, support the main piece. And when you suggest a sidebar, it tells the editor, you've looked at, you know, assuming that the magazine runs sidebars, um, that you, you, you get it, basically. Even using the word sidebar says that you get it. Now, for a shorter piece, three, four, five hundred words, you're not going to have a sidebar. The piece is short. A sidebar typically comes into play when you have a piece of about a thousand words or more. So, um, I'm trying to think of a potential yeah. uh, sidebar and something I'm working on now. Um, Oh, here's a good one. So I did. So the story about losing losing weight, uh, losing fat by eating more fiber. I've actually written about that. I had a sidebar with high uh, foods that contain a lot of fiber, um, and then I had another sidebar with two or three simple fiber-containing recipes. So you, get, you know, it's stuff that might not fit that you could shoehorn into the story, but you're going to leave it out, and then um, the editor can kind of you know add it to the piece where she wants to. And honestly, it's a lot like applying for a job where if it's an apples-to-apples comparison and you come in with your application for a job and you've got the same education, the same grades, the same number of years of experience, you've got everything the same, but you're going to bring with you um, some proprietary information that you've worked up on your own and the other applicant doesn't and everything else is equal, guess who's going to get it? It's the one who, in this case, provides the sidebars. So, you know, it's just a, it's a great way to... Uh, once again, you know, and this kind of dovetails right into our next uh, point here, which is how to make an editor love you and assign you more work. The more value you give, I'm assuming, the more they'll love you. Yes. Well, first of all, editors are people too. And I think I know when I started out as a freelancer, I was really nervous and about calling someone or talking to them on the phone. Or, And I'm an extrovert. I mean, it's pretty easy for me to talk on the phone. And Marnie, I'm sure you're an extrovert too, or you would never radio yeah. show and be a speaker. Right, right. Um, but I think that it's it's recognizing that they're people and they have a job to do and their job is, you know, filling a certain number of pages of this magazine or getting this getting the website, you know, getting the uh, web publication up by a certain date with a certain amount of content. Whatever it is, that's their job. How can you help your editor do her job? Either make her job easier 
or make take some pressure off her. So um, number one, to make an editor love you, is make sure that you understand the, the assignment itself. So after I have a phone conversation or an email conversation, depending on if typically if I haven't worked with the person, we talk by phone, kind of go over the details of the assignment. Sometimes they will assign by email, but usually, you know, there's some back and forth. Here's the details of the assignment. Okay, I'm writing a 1,000 words on how to fight fat with fiber. I'm going to include three experts. She wants me to include a real person example of someone who lost at least 20 pounds by increasing fiber content, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I write all this down. Let's include one sidebar of foods that have a high fiber content. Okay, I've got it all down. So when I go to start researching and writing that piece, I know that I'm going to give my editor what she wants. If she says a 1,000 words, I'm going to turn in a story that's a 1,000 words. I'm not going to turn in 1,500 words and say, I couldn't cut this. You know, here, here you go. I, I, just, I know it's too long. Uh, my personal rule of thumb is 10%. So if it's assigned at 1,000 words, I'll go up to 1,100 words. Um, but typically, I mean, I've turned in 1,000-word stories at 1,000 words. I've turned them in at 1,002 words. I like to get really, really close to that word count. Um, number, so do, do what I asked for, do what she asked for, uh, meet word count, meet deadline. It's so uh, basic, but I'm telling you a lot of writers don't. And in 17 years of doing this, I've only turned in a story the day it was due three times. And this is includes books, too. Every other story, every other book has been turned in early. Now, it might only be a couple days early, but I'm telling you, nobody turns in stuff early. They wait until the last minute, then they turn it in. And I'm a type A. If I have something that needs to be done and it doesn't get done until the last minute, that makes me stressed. I have to assume that some of my editors are also type A. So when they see that story come in three days ahead of time, they think, oh, great, now I've got extra time to look at that. Or I can put out a fire now because I don't have to worry about that editor or that writer turning in her piece. And then I think another part of it is um, being responsive and and just trying to be a nice person. That sounds so basic. But um, when an editor emails and says, well, you've got a great start to the piece, but I'm not happy. I'm annoyed. I don't like to rewrite. It's, you know, it's making me less money because now I'm making less per hour on the same story. I don't express that to my client or my editor. I don't express my anger or frustration. I might later with my husband, but I don't do it with them. I'll say, okay, I'm, so, and I look at the edits and I, great. So when you need them by, you need them by, you know, it's always like the next day. No problem. I'll have them to you. I don't complain. I don't whine. I don't bitch and moan. Uh, again, I do in private to my friends and family, but I don't do it to my clients. And I also don't do it online. I think you have to be really careful about what you put out with your social media because you never know who's looking at it. Um, and simply, and that's it, simply being easy to work with. I've had editors who have had stories fall through, have called me and said, you know, I've, I did a story with a two-day turnaround for an editor who had a writer that was new to her totally dropped the ball. And she needed a story like in 48 hours. I said, I can't do it in 48 hours. And she, she was like, ah. And I said, give me a, I can do it in 72 hours. Give me an extra day. She paid me twice what I would have been paid normally. But more to the point, she became a regular client of mine because I was willing to make right. my life a little rougher to help her. Now, if I couldn't have done it, I would have said no. But in that, I knew, I was like, I can't do it in two days, but I can do it in three. And believe me, they remember you and they do share names. I mean, a lot of my work comes to me now from referrals and that will be you too if you really go in trying to you know make their life easier and and be a nice person be you know be easy to work with treat the golden rule even my four-year-olds you know tweet people the way you want to be tweeted that's what it is (laughs) that's great yeah i was as you're talking i wrote down the words no drama don't be the drama in their life they have enough drama (laughs) be the person yes the breath of fresh air instead of the drama queen yeah Uh, i had an editor years ago who gave me a very 
paid me a high compliment. She said, you're a low-maintenance writer. And I, right. I knew what it meant. And she said, oh, no, in the office we know. We talk about them. We have high-maintenance writers and low-maintenance writers, and you're really low-maintenance. And I, and I laughed, and I said, believe me, I think the same thing about editors. And my regular clients tend to be low-maintenance, and I think that's pretty true for you know, any kind of business arrangement. You know, and it just makes it so possible then when a good editor or when a good writer um, has an emergency and asks for a favor, you know, the other person really wants to bend over backwards and do it, whereas if it's constantly asking, 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 it gets old and it's like, you know, I can find somebody who's easier to work with. So you really lose your opportunity by doing Mm -hmm. that. You kind of slam the door on future opportunities. Yeah, I think I, I look at it, it's kind of like money in the bank. You know what I mean? When you've, If you've never missed a deadline and you've had eight assignments and now your kid is sick or, you know, your vacation, right. it, what you know, you've got money in the bank as opposed to, I know, I know a writer who on her second assignment for an editor blew her deadline and then she called me and she said, what should I do? I said, I don't think you're going to work with her again. You don't have any money in the bank with her. You know, you, you blew your second right. assignment. You know, <laughs> sorry, right. I don't know what to tell you. Right, exactly. Well, in fact, and we're going to come right back after break and talk about how to manage your time as a writer because this is so important that you allow yourself enough time to do the job right and, and to get it in on time or especially early if you can. We're going to come right back. In the meantime, you can check out uh, Kelly's website over at dollars, and you spell this out, dollarsanddeadlines.blogspot.com. We'll be right back. During my tenure as Success Principles Official Guide at SelfGrowth.com, the largest online directory of self-growth resources in the world, I was asked to put together a coach certification program, which is now available at Marnie.com, and it's called SPI, S-P-I, Success Principles Intensive Coach Certification Training. If you are wondering how to get success yourself, how to train other people and biblically-based success, I encourage you to check out SPY training over at Marnie.com. Welcome back to Marnie's Friends. Our guest today, Kelly James Enger, has written more than 1,000 articles for over 60 national magazines and written over a dozen books. She's here to share with us dollars and deadlines, how to make money writing articles for print and online markets. And right now, Kelly, let's address the time management factor because time is money. And if you waste it, if you like you were just saying before the break, if you miss your deadlines, um, you've just blown future opportunities as well as the current one. Correct. I think, first of all, you, you be honest with yourself about how much time you have. Um, I, when I initially started freelancing, I didn't have kids. I was um, living with my now husband. I could work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and I did, and, and it was possible. So I could put a lot of time into analyzing markets and re- writing and rewriting and rewriting queries. And, you know, like I had a lot of time to get the business up to speed. Now I have two little kids, and I work very like 10 to 15 hours a week ideally, sometimes more than that if I have to. So I have to really manage my time well. But I, I want to say initially I couldn't have done that. Because it, took, it takes a while to study markets, 
to come up with ideas, to write your first query letters. But those, as you as you start to do that, you do um, become faster. You're able to write a query letter more quickly. You're able to analyze a market more quickly. So you know the the first few you do, you might think, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to do this full time or you know manage my time wisely. So be honest with how much time you you have. And I think the first thing is one of my favorite time management tips is what I call eliminate the ugliest. And by that mm-hmm. I mean do the thing that you most do not want to do first. Everybody knows what it is. I'm, I'm a trainer too, and I will tell you for almost a lot of people it's exercise. So if somebody says, well, I hate working out, I just say do it first thing in the morning. Well, I hate working out in the morning. Do it, so do it. Cross it off your list and your day will get better. Usually for me, that is writing, the actual writing. That's hard for me, even though I do this for a living. I don't like writing the first draft. It's just like, oh, I have to do this again. Why am I doing it? Why did I choose this profession? I do it first thing. So like today my priority was to write the draft of an article that's due on Monday. That's it. I'm going to do the ugliest thing. I'm going to get rid of it first. Because if you don't do that, you spend the rest of the day, first of all, not doing it. Second of all, coming up with excuses why. Well, I'm too, now I'll get some coffee. No, I'm too tired. I'll do it after lunch. And then, well, you know, and then it just doesn't get done and you've wasted an enormous amount of emotional energy you know, worrying about this thing. This is why I think you should go to the doctor and dentist at 8 o'clock in the morning on Monday too. But anyway, so that's the first thing, eliminate the ugliest. Second is set goals. Like I typically have three to five goals for any day. They're not huge goals. Write this draft, uh, go through four chapters of this manuscript I'm editing for a client, uh, work on lining up my sources for this next article, whatever it is, and I write those down. I still do this by hand. I'm, uh, I know I'm a Luddite, but I, I get no satisfaction from pushing a button on my computer. I like to cross things off with my pen and pencil. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, like look at those tasks and focus on those tasks. Now, I think sometimes, depending on your personality, you need to just shut down your email and shut down your uh, Internet, uh, whatever, whatever software you use, whether it's Explorer or Firefox or whatever. Turn it off because you go onto Facebook for one minute and then you look up and it's half an hour later and, you know, half your writing time that morning is wasted. So you really need to limit yourself to all of those distractions. And, um Another time saver, which is more important as you get some experience and start writing for publication, I don't think you should try to write about anything and everything for every market that you can think of. You're much more efficient if you say, okay, I'm going to focus on, again, three to five is a good number for people. I'm going to focus on these three to five markets, or I'm going to focus on these three to five subjects. I'm in, that's what I'm going to put my put my time into. So I write about health, wellness, fitness, and nutrition, and it's actually pretty broad. But most of my stuff is, falls under fitness and wellness. So if I see a story on super slow weightlifting or uh, aerial yoga or something like that, it will catch my attention because I write about that and I cover that, and I might think, oh, that might be something interesting or something I can turn into a pitch. I'm not trying to cover everything, so I'm more efficient. Um, and then the, the other side of that is I write for the same markets more than once. So let me tell you, it's much easier for me to pitch a market that I've written for for years and say, hey, why don't we do a feature on content marketing? And I have a much higher chance of them saying yes simply because I'm me and because I have a background in that area. I don't have to start from scratch all the time. Um, and then finally, I think a really good tip for any kind of business, especially if you're self-employed, is is to take five minutes at the end of your day. And, and if you – I work from home. My kids are downstairs watching the Lego movie, you know, upon threats of violence if they come up here. Um, it, it, 
take that five minutes, whether it's, you know, the last five minutes of your work day, look at what's coming tomorrow and set your goals for the next day. I have found, again, I've worked from home for 17 years. That really helps me shut off because I don't want to write and parent at the same time. It's, I'm bad at doing both at the same time. So that way I kind of mentally shut down. Like I turn, you know, turn off the computer, leave the office, go downstairs, go back to being a mom for the rest of the day. And I think that's really important because people think that if they put more time in, they'll get more done. I think it's the opposite. I think the more time you put in, the less efficient you are. And then you're also tired and burned out, and then you're not efficient the next day either. So I think it's really important. Think about, okay, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow, and then let it go, and then you can attack it again the next morning. I love all of your suggestions are really good, um, especially because it. I think the number one thing that happens to people, especially when they're trying to learn something new, is they get lost in the woods. <laughs> There's yes. so many yes. trees everywhere. I don't know where to go. I just get turned around real easy and, and don't know where I should step next. And, and just having a clear path is, is half the battle, um, knowing, okay, this is exactly what I need to do today, your three to five goals for the day. And before you close out at night, to just take a few minutes to write those goals for the next day. And what I, what I always say is when things, when I have, you know, things in my head, it's a million things to do. And when I write them down, it's 122. You know, but the reality is there's always a lot to do, but there's a huge difference when it's just swirling in your head. You really don't have, it's getting lost in the woods again. You don't know how to address it, how to approach it. Whereas when you write them down, you can actually, you can actually prioritize them and go, oh, well, you know, that feels like a big thing, but I could do that in two seconds or I could wait for a month and do that. You know, it just really can help you to focus on what you need to get done today. So I just love that. It's another reason why you encourage people to specialize as a writer, isn't it? The same issue. Mm -hmm. It is. And I want to add, I want to piggyback on something you said, Marnie, because I know a lot of your listeners are women and, and moms. And I think, and I've had a lot of women students who are moms who wanted to start writing about parenting or writing about their faith or, you know, like they, they wanted to make that transition. So my, so here's a suggestion. Let's say you know you want to write about parenting or you want to write for parenting markets. So instead of, okay, well, what do I do next? Go to the library or go to the bookstore and find three to five markets that you think you could write for and write and take some notes on them. Okay, this is what they, this, here's the story they ran. Here's, you know, they cover children's health in this section. And, and just by saying that, like, let's say you only have a couple hours a week that you can devote to your writing career, you can still say, okay, I'm going to take two hours and go to the library and do this, or I'm going to get online and do this after my kids are in bed. That's going to be my task for the day. And by doing that, it, you know, if you want to sell to a particular magazine, you need to know it first. So it, it, it's, it's almost like you have to work backwards from every goal to come up with the goals that are going to be the short-term goals. But um, I just think that's important because otherwise people are like, well, I want to write, but I don't know where to start. So Find a market, you know, research the market, come up with ideas, you know, really break it down as small as you need to. But, yes, specializing definitely makes – first of all, I think specializing makes you more efficient in pretty much anything. But um, there's, we're exposed to so much information every day. I, last year I saw a statistic of something like the amount of 72 full-page newspapers every day. I mean, it's a huge amount right. of information. <laughs> and it, it's not only can we not – absorb it it's impossible but if you're trying to write i think most writers are like me and we have distractible little monkey minds you know like oh bright shiny object oh and then you jump over to this thing and you never get anything done so when you specialize you say okay um i'm a stay-at-home mom i have three daughters 
and I want to, I'm going to focus on, I could write about anything and everything, but I'm going to focus on um, raising girls who have strong self-esteem. That's going to like be, that's going to start out and that's going to be my niche. Now maybe eventually you branch out and you start writing about nutrition or technology or whatever it is, but it may relate to that specialty. So one of my um, good friends and who's been a writer for a long time um, was a parent and she started out writing about parenting, but she really wanted to write about technology because she could see that there was a huge market for like people who could write about consumer technology and do it well and in an easy to understand way. So guess what? She started writing about parenting and technology, like in her, um, I think her uh, column was the plugged in parent. Get it? (laughs) You know, like Mm, plugged uh in in several senses. And that became her platform. So she writes about technology from a parent's angle, or she writes about parenting with a technological angle, however you want to look at it. But that's her niche. You don't have to know it when you start off, but I think it helps you get your initial assignments. And then as you get more experience, you can kind of deepen it or you can go to a different one. So I started out writing about topics like running and fitness and, and because I was interested in those topics. And that kind of segued into nutrition, even though I'm not a registered dietitian. I don't have any nutrition background. But if you're uh, if you're a runner, you probably know what car- you know what carbs are. You know what carb loading is. So you kind of it's kind of like following your own interests, but then also following what markets want. I mean, I'm, o- I'm not going to only write about what I'm interested in. So right now, what are hot specialties? Anything related to health and anything related to business. Sometimes I say, what what two things affect everybody, no matter your age? Health and money. So um, if you are a baby, okay, well, you're, you know, ba- infant health, whatever, well, you're thinking, oh, infants don't think about money. Well, their parents sure do. You know, how, how can I get a better deal on this? Or what do I need to save for education, you know, college education? So if you think about health and money, th- those are two good places to start and, like, what kind of calls out to you. But it makes you more efficient in terms of pitching ideas. It makes you more efficient in researching ideas because you get to know who the experts are. You're, you know, like I know if I were to do a piece right now on heart rate monitor or heart rate training using heart rate monitors, Sally Edwards is the person in that field. I've interviewed her a number of times. So I'm not starting from scratch, and that really makes a difference. And, and I think the last reason, and it's really important now, even more so than when I started, I don't want to use the word platform, um, but I, and I, the branding is over, the word branding is overdone. But I do think it really helps to have an identity as a writer. So it's kind of like a, if you think about your social media platform or your profile, if you think about what you're interested in, what you're, you know, what you're passionate about, what you care about, it should be something along those lines. So for me, um, it's it's fitness, it's wellness, it's being a working mom, it's being busy, it's it's kind of all these things. So if you look at the topics I'm writing about, I'm doing a piece for a parenting magazine on how to the determine what your own family's values are and communicate those values to your kids. Well, that kind of falls into wellness and parenting. That's something I write about. I'm doing another piece on how to tell if a diet plan is too good to be true. Well, that you, you know what I mean? So um, these ideas come because I'm in this area as opposed to if I tried to come up with an idea about I don't know. There's a lot I don't know about. Anything technology-related, forget it. Um, but just the idea of being, it makes you more efficient, and I think it makes you um, less scattered and, and less stressed. Because like when you talked about your list of million things to do, I have that list too, and it really helps me to pick three to five things. I think when you specialize, Absolutely. you pick two or three things, and you stay in that specialty, and that just makes you it makes your life easier too. I rambled there for a minute. Sorry about that. That's Got a little okay. Off-topic. It makes it makes you a lot more believable also um, because uh, people 
people know that you can't do everything excellently, and so it does help to just narrow it down a little bit. In our last few minutes, Kelly, let's address the person who really wants to start a career as a freelancer, but they've never even written one article. Uh, maybe can you give them some advice how to get started? Yeah, and again, I think this comes back to some stuff we already talked about, but to write for money, you have to find people who will pay you. So it's, you're not just going to blog and m- money's going to magically fall into your pocket. So you find markets, number one. Um, let's, let's go back. Before I even say number one, let's do the self, for the markets. Let's do some self-analysis. Think about what you already know about, what you're interested in, what you're passionate about. You may not always be able to write about your passion. I'm certainly not able to do that. But when you think about the things that you care about or that are unique to you, or that, that's a good starting place, and then look for markets. If there are publications or websites that you love to read or you really enjoy, that's a really good place to start. I've been reading Cosmo since I was a you know, high school sophomore. It's not surprising to me that I sold a piece to them 14 years later because I've been reading it for years. I'm not saying it's a wonderful publication, but I am saying I knew the magazine. Um, same goes with um, if you're, let's say, you, you read the magazine Parents and um, you, you enjoy the magazine. You think, you know, I've, I get so many good tips here. And, and, but you've ha- you, have, you come up with great parenting tips on your own or your friends, you know, you're kind of the go-to mom for that kind of stuff. Maybe that's your niche. That's going to be the place. So think about who you are. Think about the markets that you want to pursue. Again, looking for a market that you can write for more than once. And then set those goals so that it's, you know, I'm going to identify five potential markets that I can pitch by the end of the week. And then maybe the next goal is I'm going to write, uh, I'm going to come up with 10 ideas, and out of those 10 I'm going to pick three ideas and I'm going to write three query letters and get those out to three markets by the end of the next two weeks. I think it's really helpful and very important to write those things down because otherwise, especially if you're parenting, that it just kind of falls to the bottom of the pile. So I have a an art, couple articles that aren't due until the end of the month, but I have to line up my sources now because otherwise I'm going to run, you know, I'm gonna, not going to have my sources done, interviewed, and then I can't write the piece. So you've always got to be thinking, okay, wait, if I want to write for parents, then I have to look at parents and I have to analyze parents and I have to come up with an idea for parents and I have to write a query for parents. So again, you backtrack and, and set those little goals for yourself. And I think what's uh, really helpful for uh, especially new freelancers, and, and I want to um, yes, I have great books on freelancing. My blog is free. It's super helpful. There's hundreds of posts on there. There's templates. There's examples. There's uh, I talk about money. I, I mean, I give honest, real-world advice. But I think it's really helpful to look at blogs. There's some other really wonderful, you know, Renegade Writer is excellent. Um, Urban Muse is excellent. Uh, people who freelance full-time and blog and um, there's a content marketing, I think the content marketing writer blog by uh, Jennifer Goforth Gregory. You know, read what other writers are doing and, and take that information. And, and if you say, oh, that, that's really good advice, then take it. And if you say, well, I, that doesn't, I wouldn't do it that way, then ignore it. That's fine. But it's just reading about what other people are doing and how they're approaching the business. You don't have to figure it all out on your own like you did 20 or 30 years ago. I think that's really important. And um one other point I'd make is when you get an assignment from an editor, do a good job for the editor. And then when she says, oh, the piece looks great, say, thanks, I have another idea for you. Give her a new idea or say, I'd love to write for you again. Would you, you know, could I come up with some new pitches? Or I would love for you to keep me in mind for other stories. You don't just want one assignment. You want a regular client. So 
I just finished an article for a, a, a market that's new to me, a content marketing company, and I really stressed about it because it was a simple article to write and research, but I, I really want to do a good job because I want her to come back to me for other assignments. So I probably put more sweat into that story than I would for one of my regular clients where I might be a little lazier because I know what they want and I know I can give it to them. I think it's good to, to you know, when you're a new writer, you should have that attitude on every assignment. When you've been doing it for a while, you get kind of lazy, and I, I honestly think sometimes that kind of shows, you know. So you have an advantage going against somebody who's been doing it for a long time, especially if you really want to work for the market and especially if you again, uniquely qualified about what you're writing about. That's great. These are great tips. Now, how how much do you take into consideration that they're planning these um, articles and they're buying for articles many months in advance uh, for magazines? Do you go by the online posted? Um, oh, that's calendar. Yeah, Marty, that's such a good question. It's it's what they call that's what they call lead time. And typically, print publications have a lead time. National magazines maybe six to nine months. Meaning it's July right now. It's probably too late to pitch a holiday story. In fact, I guarantee it's too late for a national magazine. They're already thinking probably February or March. Now, the local publications, regional publications, tend to have a slightly shorter lead time. I'm doing, for example, I'm doing a story now for a November issue. It's July. You know, it's no, so that magazine's lead time is more like four to six months. And then online publications have very short, well, typically shorter lead times, maybe four to six weeks. Some blogs and online sites might only have like a week or sometimes with breaking news, it could be just a day or two. It could be something they need to get up really quickly. But yes, look at the writer's guidelines. We didn't talk about this, but uh, pretty much any publication, any website has writer's guidelines available online. Follow the guidelines when you're pitching. Let her know. Let the editor know, hey, I looked at this. I'm approaching you the way you said you want to be approached. And do keep that lead time into, into, in mind. Because, you know, if I, if I come up with a great idea for, you know, back to school, because it starts in six weeks here, I, I should be thinking back to school 2015. You know, it's just way too late. And it's always better <laughs> to pitch early because, you know, I could pitch something early and they could say, oh, we're not assigning for that yet but we'll hold on to it, then miss the pitching, you know, miss the pitching window. And it's really important to go ahead with those ideas you have this year and keep a file of those ideas so that when the window comes around and it's the middle of November and you're trying to think back to school, <laughs> you can actually get your brain around what was the ideas I had back there when I was actually walking through it. Now, is there any kind of a book, like for authors, there's a book called Writer's Market. Is there something for um, is there something for article publishers? Uh, Writer's Market includes books, includes book publishers, and um, magazines as well. So and Writer's Market is okay, probably great. the book to start with, yes, yes. And, you know, I, Marnie, by what you said, I can tell you're a book author because I know you're thinking promotion things, right. but it's true. You always <laughs> want to have – it's a PR thing. You want to you – if you're going to promote anything, you want to have a time peg or some kind of relevant tie-in. And it's true for freelancers, too. When you have that lead, if you can come up with a time peg or something, new research or a new study or it's the 25th, 25th anniversary of whatever, that always makes a, a good peg for a, a peg for a query or for a PR pitch. It's, you know, pretty much the same idea. And I think it's really a mistake to to go through the season with all the ideas and not capture them just because you can't submit them right now because it is really tough to come up with awesome holiday ideas in May. 
It just they yeah, are flowing because right. you're not in the yep. flow. But if you will yeah. just make a habit of when you're going through the season, making a you know keeping a notebook handy or whatever, jot those down, put them in a file, and then pull them out at the right time. And you've got all your ideas. They've actually been incubating in your head for months. And they are really ready to write. So I think I think it just helps so much. Well, this has been so, so helpful. I am Hello. Miss Kelly, this is Marnie. This, the, the line just dropped me, which was so sad. Thank you. you okay, here? I'm glad it wasn't me. I, I'm still here, but I've been, like, sitting here for a minute not not knowing what happened. Oh, yeah. But wait, I want to no, tell I you one why. thing. I have to say, that idea you just gave me, that was, like, so valuable because I was just having okay. the list of ideas and keeping them in a file because I have a great idea for water safety based on my daughter. She didn't almost drown. I jumped in and got her, but it's a great lead for a pitch for next. Oh, scary, though. For in the winter, for the summer, for water safety, what's important and what your kid needs to do at a certain age. So I just wrote that down. I wrote a list of ideas and, and put big stars <laughs> by it. So thank you for that. Awesome. So I don't know what happened great. with the call either. So. Yeah. Well, sorry, you guys. I disappeared for a minute. But in these last few minutes, Kelly, I really want you to explain the difference. You have two books that just came out in 2013. One of them is called Dollars and Deadlines, and the other one is called Six Figure Freelancing. Can you tell us what the difference is between those two books and like who each of them is exactly for? Yes, and thank you. Dollars and Deadlines is for the people who are listening who have never been published before, have never written a query before, um, didn't know what a sidebar was until they heard this. That you know, really the the basic, basic beginner who maybe you're a good writer, but you have never written for publication. So it's got. Ten real-life articles, here's how I did them, walks you through the process of coming up with the idea, approaching the market. Here's their sample queries, sample articles. What do you say when you approach somebody to interview them? How do you handle that? Um, all, just kind of all of the questions you would have if you'd never done this before. Uh, definitely a, the best book for beginners, I think. And then Six Figure Freelancing is aimed at people who have, have a few clips. They've been published. They've made a little money, and now they want to make more money, or they, maybe they want to go from part-time to full-time. And you don't have to want to make six figures. To, to benefit from the book. I guarantee if you follow some of the techniques, so you'll make more. And one of the nicest compliments I've had, I had a writer who, this was probably 10 years ago when the first edition came out, she'd been freelancing for 12 years, and she said she'd made $20,000 more a year. She said there was, there was stuff in your book I never thought about, but it's changed the way how I run my business. That was really gratifying for someone who had you know, experienced and yet really benefited from it. So that's more for a little, more seasoned people. Dollars and Deadlines is more for the, the newbie and the, and the people who need a little more hand-holding, and that's kind of what I wrote the book to do. Awesome. Well, that's so fun. You guys can find out more about this over at dollarsanddeadlines.blogspot.com. To again, our guest today, Kelly James Angar. Thank you, my dear. What a lot of wonderful information you've given us. Appreciate it so much. Yeah, thank you. It was my pleasure. All right, and you guys can learn once again more about her over at dollarsanddeadlines.blogspot.com. And also she will be in the um, uh, member zone over at marnie.com following this program and, of course, live at Blog Talk Radio for a while and iTunes for a while. Okay, thank you so much for being here. We had a wonderful hour, learned a lot today, and hope that you go away ready to get going, uh, to 
first of all, decide what market for you. Second of all, um, find some markets that pay if that's important to you. And then third, uh, go ahead and write some query letters. Get some ideas written down, write some query letters, do some submissions, and follow it up with being on time and not being a drama queen, right? Okay, so thanks for being here today. I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.